to Mindcaddy. Mindcaddy is a safe space that offers well-being support for anyone, anytime, anywhere. At Mindcaddy, we offer a range of approaches that you can take to help you grow and blossom all aspects of your well-being so that you can find the things that are just right for you. My name is Raddy, and in this episode, we explore the topic of anxiety and avoidance strategy. Now, avoidance strategy is something many of you may have already heard of, but under different names. Some will call it avoidant behaviours, others will go with the term escape coping, or any kind of variation of that. But ultimately, we're talking about the same thing. And it's the tendency for those of us who have anxiety to try and stay far away from the things that are stressful to us in order to cope with them. So imagine you encounter a situation that is uncomfortable, unpleasant, anxiety-inducing, and the instinct is to create some distance between yourself and that situation, if not take yourself out of it completely. And it's not just situations that we might try to run away from. You might remember, in one of the first resources of this pathway, we actually talked about how the trigger could be animals, natural events, objects, things to do with other people, and so on. But ultimately, the way we decide to deal with it is to shield ourselves so we feel safe again. Or at the very least, what many people tend to do is engage in some kind of what's called compensatory behaviours. And again, what these do is they ease the discomfort in the moment, but keep us stuck in the long term. I'm just going to talk through a few of these compensatory behaviours now. And as I do, I want you to have a think about whether you engage in them, because if you do then you might really benefit from the next resource in this pathway. The first example of these behaviours is what's called reassurance seeking. And this is where you need your partner, mum, sibling or anyone else that's close to you to offer reassurance. And we know that typically they'd be more than willing to provide it because nobody wants to see a loved one in distress. While this does alleviate some of the stress in the present moment, it's not actually healthy in the long run. As you start to become dependent on that person to always tell you it's going to be okay or always accompany you to events so that you feel safe. And that in itself can actually create another kind of problem as you put strain on that relationship. Another common one is what's called safety behaviors. And this is where you overly prepare yourself for the worst and begin to rely on things that you believe will help you cope with the anxiety before it's even occurred. So say you have a fear of crowded or enclosed spaces, you'll always stand near the exit. Maybe you don't want to be alone, so you always have your phone on you so you can speak to a friend. Or perhaps you constantly worry about an anxiety attack coming on, so you decide to carry a bottle of water just in case, or leave the house with some medication as well, just in case. Hopefully you get the idea. A third type of behavior is anticipation, which is very much what it says on the tin. It's where we rehearse and anticipate the worst case scenario in a fear situation. Now, many people with phobias actually tend to think that this is helpful, constructive, and it helps them to become better prepared. But in actual fact, it's not beneficial at all because the chances of that dreaded outcome happening are probably minimal and the excessive rumination only leads to hypervigilance and even more anxiety. The fourth type is compensatory strategies, which is anything you do after experiencing the anxiety-inducing trigger 
So, for instance, for somebody who has a phobia of germs, this could be the excessive hand washing or bleaching surfaces and so on. And the final two compensatory behaviors I want to touch on are escape and anxious avoidance, which I'm actually going to group into one as they're fairly similar. Escape is very much what it says on the tin. When the anxiety hits you, you try to get out of the situation as quickly as possible. As for anxious avoidance, this relates to not even allowing yourself get into that situation in the first place. It's the moment you say no to any activity that could be uncomfortable. So you breathe that sigh of relief that you don't have to face this for another day. But in the long run, it just makes this trigger that much more overwhelming. Right. Hopefully this has given you some insight into some of the most common behaviors and potentially raised your awareness of your own actions. But I want to focus more heavily now on those last two that I mentioned. And I want to discuss a few things as part of this episode. Firstly, I want to touch on just how easy it is for many of us to fall into the habit of avoiding. It's something that the majority of us do, even though many will feel ashamed to admit it. But actually, it's a part of the way our brains have evolved to function. There are some deep-rooted cognitive mechanisms that take place. So it happens on a subconscious level that is outside of our control. Next, we'll look at why it's a maladaptive strategy and not a good one to maintain for the long run. And finally, and this is perhaps the most important part, what are the alternatives? How do we deal with our fears in a way that still makes us feel safe while minimizing this urge to get away from them and managing the impulse in the right way? So let's start with why avoidance strategy is so common. Truth is, it's incredibly effective, but only in the short term. If you want quick relief from the pain, and I'm using pain in the cognitive sense here, then the most successful way of achieving that immediately is by escaping it. It's as simple as that. It completely takes away the unpleasant experience of anxiety in that moment in time, which unquestionably is a positive thing. So really, it's no surprise that people would opt for this time and time again. After all, in that present moment, it gives you the feeling that you've just conquered a pretty bad situation. But as you start to perform this repeatedly, there is a cognitive process that begins to take place and reinforce itself. In psychology, we call it operant conditioning. Now, for those of you who haven't heard of this, it's a type of learning that occurs by association. And it's when a behavior is followed by either reward or punishment, which in turn acts to either reinforce or modify that particular behavior. The most famous study in this area was done on rats many years ago where the animal would get locked in a box of some kind and there would be a lever in this box and some lights. If the rat pressed the lever when the green light was on, it would receive food. But if it pressed it when the red light was on, it would get an electric shock. So as you can imagine, the rat very quickly learned what to do in each situation. Now, how does this relate to human behavior and avoidance? Well, we talk about the importance of reward and punishment. And through engaging in avoidance coping, you get rewarded. The reward is that temporary relief. It's the alleviation of the anxiety because you're no longer having to deal with the thing that's causing it. So there's a cycle that begins to form. You encounter a trigger that elicits physical and mental discomfort. So you attempt to reduce these unpleasant symptoms by escaping the trigger. Now your brain thinks, ah, I survived this. And honestly, that's all your brain ever tries to do. The goal is to keep you alive in any situation, no matter how ridiculous it is. 
Therefore, now your brain is thinking, well, this is actually a highly effective coping mechanism. So it wants to repeat the thing that was so successful. So just to illustrate this with an example, let's say you have social anxiety. Now, suppose you get invited to a party. And as you begin to overthink the event, you start to feel nervous. What if you don't know anybody there? What if you do something silly? What if the people aren't very nice? Now you're dealing with a negative experience. So you decide to just decline the offer and immediately stress levels drop. The removal of these unpleasant feelings reinforces the coping strategy that you have just adopted, which was to say no. So you have now learned that avoidance is a highly effective method that eliminates anxiety. And next time you're faced with something similar, you'll probably do the same thing and opt for the same method that worked a treat before. Now, as I'm sure you're starting to figure out, this is not a sustainable way of behaving, which leads me on to why we've got to ditch this strategy. At the most basic level, it interferes with your ability to overcome your fear. It deprives you of any viable opportunity to show to yourself that these fears are actually unwarranted and irrational. It takes away any new experiences you could have and the chance for you to gain confidence in your ability to overcome this. Instead, there's this vicious downward spiral that develops as your symptoms actually intensify over time in response to the exact same trigger. And you have to keep in mind all the things you're missing out on too. In the given example, it would be the formation of prospective great friendships if you had attended the party. If it's a fear of flying that you've got, it's all the places you could see. If you've got an extreme form of OCD, it's the quality time that you could instead be spending with loved ones. What you resist persists. And if we don't confront the problem, it will likely snowball or at the very least be maintained. So that leads me onto the final part and perhaps the most important one. How do we fix this? What can we do to beat the anxiety and just go on with enjoying our lives? And the answer I'm hoping is very obvious. It's mere exposure. Now, we're not suggesting you throw yourself unprepared in the face of fear. That's called flooding. It's the term psychologists use for this type of therapy. And as part of it, individuals actually get exposed directly to the maximum intensity, the most anxiety-producing situational stimulus all at once. There is no attempt to lessen or avoid the anxiety. The person just kind of has to deal with it. So say you have a fear of spiders, you might get put in a room full of them until you're no longer afraid. And as extreme as it sounds, there is actual research evidence behind it and its effectiveness, but it does come with a level of risk, as you can imagine, and some people may not be able to handle this. So it does need to be carefully done under the supervision of a professional in a very safe and controlled way. But flooding is just one type of exposure therapy. Another one is called systematic desensitization. And this is something you're more likely to be able to do yourself, although guidance from a therapist can still be beneficial. The premise here is quite simple, and it's based on conditioning again. When you're in the feared situation, you perform relaxation techniques. And over time, you begin to associate the triggering stimuli with relaxation. But there's a third type of exposure that you certainly don't need a therapist for. And this is the one you will be completing in the next resource. It's called graded exposure. In its essence, it entails gradually facing your fears in a hierarchical manner. And next, you'll be creating your very own exposure hierarchy. Now, there are four golden rules for an effective hierarchy I want you to keep in mind while building yours. I'm going to go through them now, 
but you don't have to remember them because you will be reminded of them again in the next worksheet. Number one, your exposure hierarchy needs to be graded. This means you have to gradually face your fears, beginning with the least anxiety-provoking experience and slowly working your way up to the most difficult or most distressing one. Number two, it needs to be repeated. To get good at something, you have to practice. Each level of your exposure hierarchy, each scenario, needs to be repeated enough times until you feel comfortable in it. Typically, therapists would recommend that you repeat the same experience at least four or five times. And it's also good to try and do that in a reasonably short space of time. Usually about a week or so is good. Number three, it needs to be controlled. Now, as you can imagine, it's going to be tough repeating the same activity if you're not in control of it. So your scenarios can't be dependent on other people or events. Say you have a fear of dogs. One of your levels can't be let a dog come up to me in the park because then you're counting on other people walking their dogs on that day or the dog even showing an interest in you and so on. Instead, you can opt for something like walk the neighbor's dog or go to the pound or whatever else you want. Ultimately, you need to be in control of the activity. And finally, number four, it needs to be prolonged. You have to stay in the situation no matter how uncomfortable it feels. You remain in it until your anxiety levels drop by 50% at least. So say your anxiety is an 8 out of 10 when you first go into it. Wait until you naturally drop down to about a 4 out of 10. Now, for many people, this can take anywhere between five minutes to two hours. But it's particularly important that you do it. Because if you leave before the anxiety naturally starts to reduce, you'll just continue to avoid it. But trust the process, believe that it will drop, because you can think of anxiety a bit like a gas tank. Eventually, it will run out of gas. It's using up way too much of your energy to go on for a prolonged period of time. So... If you were to imagine how this would look on a graph, if we were to chart your reaction, the first time you're exposed to the dreaded stimulus, there will be a sharp and sudden rise in your anxiety level. Now, if you escape the situation, there will be the same sudden and sharp drop. So you can imagine your distress levels forming something like an inverted V shape. Now, the next time you have to confront the same trigger, the exact same thing will happen. A sudden spike, which you choose to fix by getting out of there, and you get the same sudden drop. And it goes on and on without any improvement. Now, if you were to plot up your responses if you stayed in it, however, the way it would look is you'd get the same sharp increase, but after a few minutes, there will be a gradual decline. And it might be a bit unsteady. It's important to manage expectations here. Your anxiety can go down, say, 30%, and then go up 10% from there, as your brain might still think it's in danger, even though it's not. But even if it's a little bit rocky, the general trend will be downwards. If you've been in a situation for a long period of time, your distress will not go back to the same level that it was at the start. So it's just about remembering that when things feel intolerable right at the beginning. And then the next time you're exposed, assuming you stuck with it the first time round, the next time there will be an initial spike again. But this time it won't be as high. So each time there probably will be a spike at the beginning of each exposure session, but it will be lower than the previous one and it'll gradually continue to reduce. Okay, 
So those are the four golden rules. And now it's time for you to create your very own hierarchy. Now, these golden rules are just mentioned. You will be reminded of again in the worksheet that follows. So there's no need to make a note of them. While exposure requires some courage for you to go out there and go against what your mind is telling you, just remember the benefits. Although at present you might be getting short-term relief by avoiding the unpleasant thing, you're also creating a bigger long-term problem. Exposure therapy evokes small doses of short-term anxiety, but in the long run, it gives you the necessary long-lasting relief. Thank you for joining us today. And always remember that Mindcaddy is here to offer you a safe space to learn, develop, and grow. Well-being is a continuous journey, and we can all make small changes that feel just right for us to experience those big, positive impacts. My name's Raddy, and I'll see you again in the next episode.